Radio. Evangelizing Your Parish, a talk by Jess Leach at the Immaculata Mission School 2014, held at the Sacred Heart Retreat Center in Croydon, Melbourne. Uh, there's so many different ways, different analogies, different ways you can talk about it. But it's about receiving and giving and growing love. And, um, you know, it's, it's why the church exists. The church exists to evangelize. Jesus wouldn't have left the church. Jesus wouldn't have ascended into heaven and left us with a whole, you know, a life after his ascension if he didn't have a purpose and a plan for us, if he didn't have a mission for us, a mission that he gave to the apostles and he's passed on to each one of us. It's, it is our, it's our mission, it's our duty, it's our privilege and our joy to evangelize. And if you take one thing away from this talk, from that skit, which was uh, done so beautifully and so last minute, well done, guys. Um, if you take one thing away from it, it's love. It's that it's about love. It's about encountering a love of God that you need to tell someone else about. And when we feel like that love is waning within us, or maybe we haven't yet encountered a love that we want to tell someone about, it's about asking God to show us and give us that love. Because that's his desire, is to give us that love that we can then tell those about. Because as um, someone prayed this morning in the prayers of the faithful, that it's not just those who say, Lord, Lord, who will enter the kingdom, but those who live what Jesus asked them, who do the will of the Father. And this is what he talked about um, right before his ascension, about going out and making disciples, about proclaiming the good news. So I want to talk today about, about evangelization and also about the parish, what this looks like in the parish. And um, I'm going to use a little bit from Pope Francis's uh, new exhortation, Evangelii Gaudium, the joy of the gospel, because this is what he's talking about. He's talking about what it means to authentically proclaim, to authentically proclaim that Christ loves you, that Christ loves you. So this, this idea of evangelization, uh, this idea of a life in the church, because that's what life in the parish is, it's being a part of the body of Christ, a part of the Catholic Church. This is what I want to get our juices flowing about. And there's some very, there's some amazing, very basic, um, well, not basic, but sort of the groundwork, if you want to say, for in the recent history of the church for evangelization is a document which I, I really encourage you to write down the name of. It's called Evangelii Nuntiandi. So that's Evangelii, E V. A N G E L I Evangeli Nuntiandi N U N T I A N D I. I'm not going to talk um, from that document today, but I really encourage you to have a look at that. It was written by Pope Paul VI in the 1970s, and he talks about the mission of the church as evangelization, and it's a a beautiful document. It's really one of our sort of um, uh, like basic guidelines as as members of the church is Evangelii Nuntiandi. 
Um, so I want to look at, at five things about evangelization in the parish. And they're very, very basic, but I hope they can give us in some way a love and a desire to live this to the full, not just to speak it, not just to say, you know, just not just to proclaim the gospel, but to somehow integrate that into the very heart of what we do. And so the first is being conformed to Christ. So we're called to be conformed to him because he was the perfect evangelist and because he shows us what it means to live true communion. We're in the church so we can live true communion. Communion with the Father, which is a sign then for all humanity. The church is a sign. As uh, Father Simon said, it is a sacrament. The church points the way It's a sacrament, it's a sign for all of humanity to say, there is a Father in heaven who loves you. Come, come and see. So Jesus lived this perfect communion and he was the perfect evangelist. He's our model in this way. And I hope as we go through, we'll, we'll kind of get a sense of why he was that perfect evangelist. But it really, it does come back and I'm... I'm sorry if we've heard this word like a bazillion times, this mission school, but it's the heart of the gospel and it's love. It's because he encountered them with love. It's because he first loved. He first loved. And it was because of that love that people could be convicted. It was because of that love that people could change. People could come and join him. You know, there's something very catechetical in the way Jesus encounters people and in the way he lives his life. And Pope Francis talks about this in his new exhortation. There's something extremely, like catechetical I mean, it teaches us something. So if I know the life of Christ, I know how he encountered people, it teaches me how am I meant to encounter people. And the lesson that we learn is love. This is why he was the perfect evangelist. So we're conformed to Christ in our minds and in our hearts, by knowing him, so learning him, studying him, um, you know, experiences like this, but also by how we love him, by our prayer and our life. So while it's not possible to love someone that we don't know, it is possible to know someone and not love them. So it is, as, as we've heard these, these past eight days, the journey from the head to the heart, to really know him but also to love him. And that love is reflected in our prayer and in the way we live our lives. And as Father Len said, we know him and we grow in love for him in word and sacrament. So this is really the, the primacy of his word his word in scripture and of the sacraments. In Matthew twelve thirty four, we have scripture says, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So what's deep in our hearts is what will be reflected when we evangelize, whether it be to our families whether it be to our friends, whether it be to 
the people who've come to Mass for the first time in our local parish, or whether it be on the street. You never know. Some of you may be called to do street evangelization at some point in your life. And the way that you speak to that person that you encounter on the street, those words aren't just coming from here. They reveal something deep about what's going on in our deepest heart. When I think back, uh, and I mean I still see it sometimes in my life, which saddens me, but when I think back to some of the things that I said before I knew Christ, it shows me what a darkness there was within me, that I could speak with such little love, with such condemnation. And so out of the mouth, the heart's, out of the mouth, really, the heart is revealed. And Pope Francis makes this very clear, the primacy of word and sacrament in Evangelii Gaudium. So I think we have a text. Okay, so he says, The sacred scriptures are the very source of evangelization. Consequently, we need to be constantly trained in hearing the word. The church does not evangelize unless she constantly lets herself be evangelized. So each of us needs to be constantly being reawakened in this relationship with Christ, being recalled. Every day, Jesus is saying to us, come and see. Keep changing, keep growing, keep loving. So we are called to be constantly evangelized by Christ and and he'll do that through our brothers and sisters as well. We do not blindly seek God or wait for him to speak to us first. For God has already spoken and there is nothing further that we need to know which has not been revealed to us. So let us receive the sublime treasure of the revealed word. Um, For those of you who haven't read a papal document before, just so you know, this makes it really easy to find the different sections. So it's sort of like done by paragraph or a couple of paragraphs. They each get a number. So if you want to look this up online, just go to Evangelii Gaudium and you can just go to 174. So all you need to write down, if something hits you, you can just write down the reference and go and have a look. Um, yeah, it's a, it's a beautiful document. Um, so he is, really, he is really saying that, that we need to allow ourselves through the scripture, through the sacraments, to constantly re-encounter Christ. So it's a daily thing. I'm never, it's never like, tick, I'm an evangelist. <laughs> it's like daily, daily growing in that. I want to just add in regards to being conformed to Christ that this, the fact that he's also the model of communion is very significant because we are, we are fallen and broken in our own way and yet we're called to live this total communion with the church and with each other. So we have to look to Christ as well. How did he love? How did he live communion? It's a, it's a question to sort of ponder as we continue through because it becomes very important when we think about the parish. So number one is being conformed to Christ. Number two is about the kerygma. So kerygma, that's K-E-R-Y-G-M-A, kerygma. It's a word that means proclamation or announcement. And we use it to mean the kerygma is 
the essence, the heart of what we're announcing when we're announcing Christ. So the charisma needs to be synthesized, needs to be um, in harmony between what we say and what we do, how we live, how we act, and how we speak. So if I'm proclaiming something but I'm not living it, there's a lack of synthesis. And Pope Francis uses this word synthesis. And so in a sense, just for a moment, think to yourself, God, Jesus, the Father, the Holy Spirit, him coming to save us, his resurrection, my life with him now, what is the charisma? If I had to to put it in a nutshell, in my own heart, what do I really believe that that is? And sometimes that can be a challenging question because we've got different things coming here and there and we're not sure how to prioritise and at different times in our life the charisma will come in from different angles. But Pope Francis says something, um, something very significant about, about the charisma, about proclamation. So he says in paragraph 164, on the lips of the catechist, the first proclamation must ring out over and over. Jesus Christ loves you. He gave his life to save you. And now he is living at your side every day to enlighten, strengthen, and free you. This first proclamation is called first, not because it exists at the beginning and can then be forgotten or replaced by other more important things. It is first in a qualitative sense because it is the principal proclamation, the one which we must hear again and again in different ways, the one which we must announce one way or another throughout the process of catechesis at every level and moment. So whenever we are teaching about the faith, whenever we are witnessing to the faith, whenever we are proclaiming the faith, whenever we are speaking about the faith, this is the core of what we are trying to proclaim. And this is what we saw Christ did. Christ didn't come into a situation. um, He he didn't uh, encounter the person and speak straight away into what was wrong with their life or tell them straight away what needed to change. Instead, he allowed them to encounter them and his love, and he led them from that place. And this is very important, but it's, I think, also very important that we can understand, we can synthesise this in our minds. Like, this is the heart of what I'm about. This is the heart of why I'm a Christian. Um, you know, it's, it's not because I want to, you know, I'm not going to, sorry, I won't actually say it's not because of what, because I don't want to put, thoughts or words in your mouth, in your mind that might not be there. I don't know um, what other, sometimes what other thoughts can come to us, but this is the heart of it. And you've heard this message, this message that he's proclaiming, Jesus Christ loves you. He gave his life to save you. And now he is living at your side every day to enlighten, strengthen and free you. You have heard that message over and over again uh, this past week not just hopefully in the talks, but in many moments, hopefully in encounters that you've had, um, hopefully between each other, um, between people who've come here to serve, in moments of prayer, 
And we are called to repeat this again and again in, to others every day in everything that we do. It's like we have to sweat the love of Jesus to ooze that love from our pores. And we have to find the way in which we can do that, in which he oozes out of us, in which we are most filled by him. And this message, this is the message that we repeat in our words, but also every time we encounter that lonely person and that we reach out to them, every time we comfort the sorrowful or visit the prisoner or feed the hungry, this is the charisma that we are proclaiming. So how does this go from what we know is meant to be the charisma, from what we have learnt by rote? How does it go from, from here to here? How do we, we synthesise this? Which is a word that Pope Francis uses, as you'll see, um, in this exhortation. And as I, I spoke before about his word, but I want to mention again adoration that there's this, this grace in adoration to soak in the presence of Jesus. It was very hard for me to choose one quote on adoration. <laughs> um, but this is the one that I think, I hope, can encapsulate a little bit of why um, adoration helps us. It helps us very much on a broader level, and I'll speak about that in the parish, but for each of us individually, why adoration can transform our hearts, why it can change us in the way that we evangelise. Because it is about being present, resting and beholding. We are present to Jesus, whose sacrifice is ever-present to us. Abiding in him, we are assimilated more deeply into his self-giving, so in the Gospel of John, he says, abide in me and you will bear fruit. So by remaining in him, by sitting with him, by adoring him, by making in whatever way we can an attempt to love him and receive his love, we are drawn into his fruit. And what is his fruit? His fruit is sacrificial love. His fruit is self-giving. It's not... Um, it's not something that we might necessarily see immediately, like I've gone and spent an hour in adoration and now I can just give up my life. It's, it's, not, it's not like a science equation or anything like that. And sometimes we may not visibly see something. Sometimes we'll see a change visibly very quickly in the way that we evangelise or the way we live our lives. But often something is happening very, very deep within the surface and we need to trust him in that that we receive and are transformed by the mystery we adore. Eucharistic adoration is similar to standing at the foot of the cross of Jesus, being a witness to his sacrifice of life and being renewed by it. There's something extraordinary about the Gospel of St. John, something that, and we, we cannot know this, but something that perhaps has come from the evangelist's experience at the foot of the cross. To see that, not just to, have, to hear about it firsthand or for us to, to read about it, but to actually stand there 
and see that must have been an extraordinary experience of being evangelised and of the whole meaning of life, the charisma, falling into place within his heart. And we participate in that in adoration. We kneel at the foot of the cross with John, with Our Lady, with St Mary Magdalene and we learn from love himself. Mystically, the church tells us, as the Lord is adored, his fragrance spreads. The Holy Fathers have used the word perfume. It's like a perfume that imbues that parish, that imbues that city, that imbues the world with the presence of Christ. That when we, when we put him on the altar, when we adore him, he spreads his love, the very fragrance of his being out over humanity. So that was number two, which was, if you're taking notes, was synthesizing the charisma. So number one, our being conformed to Christ. Number two, synthesizing the charisma. Number three is our transformation. Being transformed to really live communion, that is to live for God, to live for others, to love God and to love others. And this this is deeply connected to that idea of needing the charisma to be synthesized within us. It's about that process of transformation and very practically how it can happen. Pope Francis says, and I, I love this, I think this, is, I think this is amazing. He says, the challenge of an enculturated preaching consists in proclaiming a synthesis, not ideas or detached values. This is very much like what Pope Benedict XVI said when he said, Christianity is not a set of rules or ideas, but an encounter with the person and that person is Jesus Christ. So it's not ideas or detached values, it's a synthesis. Where your synthesis is, there lies your heart. So obviously it's referring to scripture, where your treasure is, there your heart will be. So that's why I asked that question, what's the charisma? What do we say the charisma is? Because that reveals where my heart is. You know, what I believe the the jewel of the gospel is, what I believe the, the core of it all is, that reveals where my heart is. The difference between enlightening people with a synthesis and doing so with detached ideas is like the difference between boredom and heartfelt fervour. Um, he's, actually, he's actually speaking in this, this passage about, uh, about giving homilies and it's a fantastic passage if anyone's discerning the priesthood or just wants to read about homilies. It's amazing. Um, so where your treasure is, there your heart will be. And we, heard, we had such a great talk. We were very blessed last night. The, the women were very blessed to have a talk by Therese Nichols. And she said, how do you spend your time? What's your priority? 
that's another good way of sort of a bit of an examination of conscience. Where is my time spent? Do I have an hour for YouTube and only 10 minutes for Jesus Christ? You know, would I keep an appointment with the king but skip my appointment for prayer with the king of kings? You know, and this is a really, it's sort of a, a good way of examining, okay, where is my treasure? My time is one of the most precious things I've got. My time is something that, um, it, you know, it's something that we often hold on to, that we, we prioritise, you know, how am I going to spend my time? So how am I spending my time with the Lord really reveals so much to us about where is my treasure, what is most valuable to me. And so being transformed to live this communion, to put God first and to put that call to communion with my brothers and sisters above my own needs and wants, this is a difficult transformation because we have to discover the areas where our charisma is not synthesised. So those areas in us that are off kilter. And we've all got them. It's, it's, there's not a single person in this room that does not have something askew within our heart and our mind. So that's okay. That's the first thing is not to be afraid of the fact that our, our treasure, you know, is still growing in Christ. An extreme example of, say, an inconsistency within oneself to do with the charisma, to do with um, to do with evangelization, would be someone who is, say, proclaiming the gospel, but is yet to repent of serious sin. So that's an extreme example of you know an inconsistency. But there's also those inconsistencies which can be more subtle. So maybe I preach to my friends about service in the love of God, but I never offer to wash the dishes for my mum. You know, so there's these these little subtle ways. Um, that we, we need to sort of check, check myself, you know. I remember um, when I was at Emmanuel School of Mission, and I, maybe it's because I'm from a farm, I don't know. We, like, you know, we're not big put that piece of paper in the bin kind of people. We're like that piece of paper can stay on the floor kind of people. Um, and I remember, I remember being there, and I remember having a moment where I realised, oh, my goodness, if I want to live charity, then... I need, I need to put that in the bin, not my brother or sister who comes along after me. It was such a, I know it was a ridiculously basic realisation to have at the age of 25, um, very humbling. But, you know, this is like these little things, these little realities about how I live my life. Um, these subtle things are, are extremely important. So we can, we, um, our charisma, our understanding of what it's all about is revealed in the way that we evangelise and in the way that we live communion. So what I mean is that we're called to have the synthesis in order to be able to really evangelise from the heart of Christ and to be able to really live communion from the heart of Christ. But it's also in our evangelization and in the way we try to live communion that sometimes these inconsistencies can really be revealed. So, for example... Um, if we are in dialogue with somebody and we're really acting out of frustration because we want to prove our point, you know, we're like, dang it, Jesus is real, just get with the program, out of frustration or whatever it might be, you know, there's something, there's something out of kilter there. Or, you know, um, when we, we don't respect the freedom of the other, 
that reveals to us that something in, in the gospel, you know, isn't, yeah, isn't clicking. And there's a rule in evangelization, the green light, yellow light, red light rule. And that is, you know, if you're talking to someone and they seem very open, it's a green light. Great, no worries, keep chatting. If it's a red light, you respect the fact that that is a red light, you know, um, and, you know, they have no obligation to hear the gospel at that point in time. And, in fact, you respecting their desire or their lack of desire to hear it is going to be the best witness. So you step away and you leave them. And then there's a yellow light, and the rule is that a yellow light always turns into a red light. So you do the same as with a red light. And I remember, um, one, like, I remember one time where I really ignored a yellow light and it did not go well. And I got to the end of this conversation and I was standing there and the guy was like, fine. I was on the street in Scotland. He was like, fine, I'll believe in God if an elephant walks down the street. There's no elephant. And I remember standing there being like, Lord, please just get, us, get me out of this situation, Lord. Like, I don't want to upset him anymore, you know. But it was really like, where was my, you know, when I could, I could see that there was a yellow light there, but something in me pushed on, something of pride, or something of frustration, or something of righteousness, but something that was not of the Lord. The upsetting thing was, I actually had an elephant pillow, and, you know, I'd been thinking about packing it in my backpack that day, and afterwards I was like, wouldn't that have been amazing if he'd be like, show me an elephant, God, and I was like, cha-ching! Um, but that didn't happen, and the Lord taught me a really good lesson. But after I prayed that prayer for someone to, for, you know, for him to get me out of it, we were in the middle of, you know, the city and this guy who he knew was walking down the street and saw us and came over and it completely changed the atmosphere and I was able to say goodbye and, like, you know, end up finishing up really nicely. So God is good. He, he takes care of us in our weakness. Um, but it taught me a lot about, you know, about that pride or that, that desire to be right. Sometimes in our lives... We don't preach a gospel of love or we don't live a gospel of love or we don't understand an element of the gospel of love because we don't know that we're loved. And that's why healing is so important. That's why in order to live the mission, we have talked so much and prayed so much and lifted up so much the importance of healing so that we can receive the love of God. And it can be one of the hardest things, but to give God the space to heal. That if he's showing us an inconsistency because of wounds, for example, we're telling others to trust God, but in our hearts we don't because we have trust issues for whatever reason. Now that's something to really bring to him, something to really heal. So we can really, so this beautiful charisma can be transformed, can be, can be synthesized in our hearts. We also live it, the charisma gets really purified through community, through community, by being open to correction, by growing, um, by being supported. Next, the importance of grace. Number four, grace. This is a beautiful quote from Pope Benedict. It is important always to know that the first word, the true initiative, the true activity comes from God And only by inserting ourselves into the divine initiative, only begging for this divine initiative, shall we too be able to become with him and in him evangelizers. And Pope Francis says, This principle of the primacy of grace 
must be a beacon which constantly illuminates our reflections on evangelization. And this is because Pope Paul VI said, the Holy Spirit is the primary agent of evangelization. We are the instruments, he is the agent, we call upon him. And it's because of this that we can say, when I am weak, I am strong. When I am weak, I am strong. Um, quick story is that uh, my parish, my old parish in Sydney, I was there very late one night. I'd, there was a, an evangelization congress happening in the city of Sydney and we'd had a mercy night there. And, you know, I was all geared up for evangelization. It was very exciting. We did a rosary procession and I was wearing a T-shirt saying, ask me, you know, if anyone had any questions for evangelization. And it was about maybe 7 p.m. and we are doing this rosary walk. And within maybe the first five Hail Marys, this old man on Oxford Street looked at us and just went to me, what's all this about? Like it was just the most amazing opening. And so we ended up talking for three hours. We ended up walking all the way to the cathedral. He was uh, in his late 70s. He'd left the church at the age of 19. Um, He was French, but he'd been living in Australia for a long time. He had a very... um, yeah, a very hard life, but he was, you know, a huge openness to God at the same time. Anyway, we spent these three hours together. We went to the mercy night. We had adoration, heard a great testimony, and then we talked a lot and um, even prayed a little bit. And it was, you know, it was really one of those experiences where you know the Lord is leading you, you know the Lord is guiding you, and you're praying a lot the whole time. And it was just so graced. And I was, by the end of that conversation, I was exhausted, like completely emotionally and physically wrecked. It was such a long time and I was already pretty tired at the beginning. So I went home to my my parish and my home area and I was on the train and there was a couple on the train, very poor, and they had a pram and someone, I can't remember what happened, but someone like kicked the pram or something. They had a little child in the pram and I, so I just helped them get the pram off the train and they were really upset by what this person had done. And so I just, you know, smiled or something and then left them. Anyway, I went into the church because there was all-night adoration. I went into the church and was praying there. And then the man from this couple with the, the, um, with the stroller, he came into the church. And he went and knelt and I was kneeling. And then I got up and I had the feeling that I, I was like, I, I should probably leave now because I feel like he's going to come and talk to me. That was what I thought. I was like, I should probably leave now because he wants to talk to me because I was so tired. So I got up to go and as soon as I got up, he came over. And so at that moment, I just surrendered all that, you know, that selfishness and that tiredness and all of that and asked for the Holy Spirit. And I didn't have anything left. I had nothing left, you know, no strength. But he came over and my goodness, what a blessing it was to talk to him. His life had been, he just... He'd just gone out of jail. He weighed almost nothing. He was he and his wife were so poor. And he was going to sleep in the church that night so that his wife and their little baby could stay somewhere because they didn't have enough money for him to stay anywhere. And there was a women's refuge where she would be able to go. They had nothing. Like their almost their entire life was in that stroller, which was why it had been so heavy when I'd helped lift it. And but he was about to get baptized. He was, he'd met some Christians and he was about to get baptised and he was so excited to get baptised and he wanted us to talk to somebody about it. And it was only, I mean, by the grace of God, it was the Holy Spirit that he got up at that moment because 
me, my own human thinking and my weakness, I was hot-tailing it out of there. You know, but praise be to God, he got up at that same moment and he, could tell, he was evangelizing me. But also he needed just to talk to someone. He just needed to tell someone about what he was living and have someone listen to him. And so this is grace, you know. When we don't have anything left to get, give, we call on the Holy Spirit. We ask the Lord to do the work. And number five is about our parishes and what all this means in our parishes. Because for most of us, that's where we live the church. So all of this can sound very big picture, but mission like charity begins at home. So for most of us, this is where we're called to live communion in the church. And it's, there's something very, very important about your parish Something which may seem like a very basic thing. It may seem like, oh yeah, my parish is my parish because that's where I live. And parishes are just divided by territory. But there's something extremely important about why parishes are this way. It is not simply a matter of administrative convenience, but it reflects a profound theological concern. By insisting on a territorial division rather than one based on social, cultural, ethnic, intellectual or other grounds, the parish demonstrates the authenticity of the church's Catholicity. What that means is that we don't pick and choose, you know, based on, say, you know, sometimes, sometimes there's this big temptation. It's, it's a very congregationalist mentality. You know, oh, I really want to go there because I like that music or all my friends go here, or whatever it might be. But the Catholic Church, for 2,000 years, remarkably, parishes have been the symbol of complete unity. Because like a family, you don't get to pick and choose who you're in the pews next to. And this is huge for our living of communion. It means that our, our parish must, in a deeply spiritual and practical way, truly reflect the communion that we are called to in God, which means, and it must live a spirituality of communion, which indicates above all the heart's contemplation of the mystery of the Trinity dwelling in us and whose light we must also be able to see shining on the face of the brothers and sisters around us. Your parish is an eternal reality. Imagine if every time we stepped inside the doors of our local parish, we said to ourselves, I'm stepping into an eternal reality. You know, that guy who hands out the sheets, I'm seeing the Trinity dwelling in him. I'm called to be the Trinity dwelling, you know, in me to the choir and to that couple who've come for the first time and might never come back if they're not welcomed. You know, in whatever way it is, we are called to take everything that we live in evangelization, this big, huge idea, this awesome, inspiring, I'm going to share the love of God with every person I meet, and put it in the heart of St. Mark's Faulkner or St. Bernard's Claremont um, or St. All Saints um, Liverpool. You know, it's the, the parish, the parish is the heartbeat of the church. So it needs to beat strong. And it beats strong through us in our evangelization to each other, in our love for each other, which is our communion in Christ. 
And if the parish is the heartbeat of the church, what is the heartbeat of the parish? It's the Eucharist. So I just want to finish by saying that if we are going to bring about parish renewal, we have to start with the Eucharist. For the parish, yes, but for ourselves. Because we renew the parish by being renewed ourselves. The parish is renewed in our love, in our communion, in our evangelization, in everything that we give. And there is a gazillion more things I could say, but that's all I'm going to say because we're actually going to go now in for a time of, of a holy hour in the church. We're going to go and sit before the Lord himself. And this is, this is for you. This is for these nine days. It's for everything that's to come after. It's for your parish. It's for the church and the world because by being transformed yourself, by living communion yourself, you do something extraordinary in the world. We might not be able to see it, but that's what it means to live communion. So I just, yeah, I really encourage you to, to sit before the heartbeat before the beating heart of Christ in the Eucharist. And let everything that we are meant to believe become what we really believe. Become completely um, synthesized in our hearts so we are entirely in tune or as much in tune as, as we can be with the extraordinary charisma that is our gift in the Catholic Church. So we're going to head up to the church. We're going to head there in silence. I just ask you to yeah, um, take, your, yeah, take everything and head up there in silence. And maybe we'll just finish with a Hail Mary um, to give this next hour to Our Lady and to thank you, Lord God, through the prayers of Mary for, for the gift of evangelization, the gift of communion, the gift of faith, and the call to to spread that to the entire world. That was Jess Leach with Evangelising Your Parish. For more from the Immaculata Mission School, visit cradio.org.au.